don't cry You can rely on me, honey Well, welcome everyone to the AXPX Podcast, episode 20-something. I forgot to look. I think we're at 26. Uh, I'm your host, Sean DeRager, and with me, Joey Avalos. Hello, Sean. How you doing, man? Good. I'm keeping my fingers crossed because this has been a while since we've had a handful of people on the on the podcast. So, you know, uh, hopefully the computer doesn't crash. I'm sending good, <laughs> sending positive vibes. <laughs> but uh, with us today, uh, Greg Horton, who we talked to last week. Was that just last week? Yep, uh, two weeks ago. Sorry. Okay, it's like that's. I know I'm old. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks ago, and then uh, uh, Rob Davis is on the. I was on the Skype call with us today, too. Hello. All right. So, full house, and I feel like, you know, I wanted to find the, you know, two most opinionated people I knew, so, you know, this works <laughs> out perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, I think. Is that, like, damning fake praise? <laughs> yes. Well, the the big difference is that my, my opinionated opinionatedness is completely ignorant and Greg actually knows a few things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well let's let's jump right in this and um uh by the way, uh I guess and who's all, who's all a, a dad here? Rob, you're a dad. Greg? Yep. yep. Two girls. And Joey's the only uh only lame guy on the call. But a ha- yeah. happy belated Father's Day to you guys. Thank you, thank you. You too. Thank you. Hopefully it was filled with, uh, you know, no kids and beer, right? Am I right? No wine and animal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a great time just hanging out with my kids, and uh, it was just kind of a laid-back day. And uh, I posted tons of pictures of my kids on Facebook, so that's how I spent Father's Day. <laughs> well nice. done. All right, so uh, news broke, I believe it was last week, and uh, about Exodus International. And uh, Alan Chambers, who's the president of Exodus International, came out and wrote a blog post called I'm Sorry. Uh, you're basically apologizing for all the hurt that this organization has done throughout the years. And uh, as the news started trickling out even further, it, we got word that they were actually shutting their doors. Uh, Exodus, Exodus International was shutting down. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of uh, give a brief a brief. Uh, Preview on who they are. They're they're a large Christian ministry, and they were they claimed they had a cure to uh, cure homosexuality, and um, you know. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's be fair here. Hold on a second. <laughs> Go for it. They started about seventy six, and this is unlike some of their local affiliates because it's, it's an umbrella organization. Right. Some of their local affiliates did claim that they could change your orientation exodus usually stopped short of saying that they would say like you could you could have the power to resist or you don't have to do these things so as a rule they never would say you could be cured but they did indicate that you could live a fully free whatever the hell you want to call that life apart from sexual desire uh, or activity so just to clarify yeah no problem i'm reading i mean i probably took the worst possible article because it's from the huffington huffington post so it's probably insanely biased to the left my byline is there sometimes. Let's not make fun of the Huffington Post. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop there. That's <laughs> fine. They are. Well, I haven't read your stuff. Yeah, I, I think one one interesting thing about Alan Chambers himself is that he uh, is obviously a gay man, and he has married a woman, and they have two adopted children. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how long they've been married, but. 
um, it definitely uh, exemplifies that uh, quote unquote ideal of you know you can be uh, this uh, whole happy person married uh, to the opposite sex, but it's kind of a catch twenty two because either um, you know a guy like that is completely suppressing who he truly is, um, or he's not suppressing it and lying about it, and <laughs> you know off on the side uh, doing what what I think he should be doing, but. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's something I, I find interesting about the whole thing, but yes, now he was, uh, he was on, was he, he was on religious, right? Where Bill Maher was talking to him. Am I correct on that? I think you're correct on that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I, I, I honestly, um, I don't know what to say about these guys because, quite frankly, uh, after reading John Shore's uh, blog post that uh, Rob had posted, this does feel like a rebrand. Uh, and, huh. it, and it feels like what they're going to do is take a different tactic uh, as opposed to just being, you know, average dickbags. They're going to try and do a kinder, gentler version of, you know, you can be okay. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but based on what Chambers said in his letter about not changing his views on marriage and not repudiating what they've done historically, this may not be anything more than uh, just a clever rebrand. Right. Yeah, it could be. I'm, I'm trying to pull up the statement right now. Because, um, yeah, because I, I got to the bottom of that, and, yeah, he didn't, uh, he didn't renounce you know, being against homosexuality. Right. So. Yeah, I I think he, I think he literally said, I have not changed my opinion for 20 years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my concern. And Rob got in trouble, I guess, over Tony Jones's blog. He was referencing that on Facebook. Uh, Would they call you an ideological purist? Is that correct? Right. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) I never got to call that. Uh, It's my turn. Because uh, I, 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 I think he's right that if you're, I'll go ahead and say this that this will piss off my liberal friends because uh, I want to be fair about this. The only way to have this conversation uh, culturally is to get the Bible out of the way. Uh, because if you're an evangelical, you can't walk away from the Bible and say, well, it seems to be kind of okay with gay. No, it's clearly not. Yeah. So either you accept the authority of the scriptures or you don't. And if you don't, find a way to parse it so you can blow or do whatever you want to do to anybody you want to do it to. Uh, and that seems to be the problem they're having right now is they're trying to hold on to some sense of biblical authority, uh, but you can't do that uh, without you know, having the awkward problem of Paul thinking it's not okay and Moses yeah. thinking it's not okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read a portion of his apology here, <clears throat> and then we'll go into it further, because I found this segment where he, where he talks about um, certain things he can't apologize for. So here we go. So bear with me as I, as I read this. I'm, I'm not as a brilliant orator as Trip Fuller is. <clears throat> so, you know. <laughs> All right. Or, uh, or uh, was it, is it Dan Carlin? You guys heard Dan Carlin's podcast? He, he reads, he, he does this thing called Hardcore History, and he, he reads like these lengthy segments. And I'm like, man, I'm not that, I wish I was that good. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> uh, please note, this is quoting from the article. This is Alan Chambers writing this. Uh, Please know that I am deeply sorry. I am sorry for the pain and hurt many of you have experienced. I am sorry that some of you spent years working through the shame and guilt you felt when your attractions didn't change. I am sorry we promoted sexual orientation, change efforts, and reparative theories about sexual orientation that stigmatized parents. I am sorry that there were times I didn't stand up to people publicly on my side who called you names like sodomite or worse. 
I'm sorry that I, knowing some of you so well, failed to share publicly that the gay and lesbian people I know were every bit as capable of being amazing parents as the straight people that I know. I'm sorry that when I celebrated a person coming to Christ and surrendering their sexuality to him, that I callously celebrated the end of relationships that broke your heart. I'm sorry that I've communicated that you and your families are less than me and mine. Uh, see, More than anything, I'm sorry that so many have interpreted this religious rejection by Christians as God's rejection. rejection. I'm profoundly sorry that many have walked away from their faith and that some have chosen to end their lives. For the rest of my life, I will proclaim nothing but the whole truth of the gospel, one of grace, mercy, and open invitation to all to enter into an inserviceable, no, inseverable relationship with Almighty God. I cannot apologize for my deeply held biblical beliefs about the boundaries I see in scripture surrounding sex, but I will exercise my beliefs with great care and respect for those who do not share them. I cannot apologize for my beliefs about marriage, but I do not have any desire to fight you on your on your beliefs or the rights that you seek. My beliefs about these things will never again interfere with God's command to love my neighbor as I love myself. So there we go. I mean, there's more. I mean, there's a huge article, and I'll post a link. Yeah, and ultimately, yeah. you're left with this sort of, would you please explain those two statements about uh, biblical boundaries and marriage? Because until he says that, <clears throat> we're not going to know what, what the hell he's actually talking about. Yeah, so, I mean, there definitely are a lot of questions still um, still out there as far as what they're doing. And, and when you say, re, uh, you know, rebranding, um, you know, that makes sense a little bit to me because it's uh, – He's not fully rejecting what Excess International did. I think he's rejecting more along the lines of the uh, method yeah. that they did. Yeah. So, so Joey's just sitting back. Joey, do you have any, did you read the article at all? Yeah, I read, yeah, I read the article too. And um, I think that what we take away from this though too is, is most people are going to really see what – what was the article you guys said? Was his name John? The John article? Yeah. People that read that article, it was an eye-opening experience for a lot of people that read the article um, um, published by Exodus. So um, I don't know if the general public are going to think that, you know, hey, this is a big step in, in the right direction, you know. But taking a critical eye to it, some people, you know, are saying that it's not really an apology. And I think, you know, when it gets down to it, it doesn't feel like an apology to me either. After I read John's article, uh, his letter, and um, I guess we're just going to have to see, you know, see if this is just a rebranding or if there is actually a, a step into a direction of, you know, just more of a, hey, of a tolerance kind of thing. It's not really more of a ministry like we're going to try to pray the gay away or anything anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, to me, I feel like when I first read it, I, I, I mean, I feel like this is a this is a huge deal. Like either way, I, I feel that um, to have this kind of organization organization come out and actually give at least a semblance of, a, of an apology to to the gay community is um it's pretty interesting and i think uh we'll it, like i said we'll see what happens you know as you know as time goes on but um when you when you guys first read the article what was your like initial um initial re reaction uh we'll start with the start with you greg what was your initial 
Um, well, you know, part of what I do is journalism. Is journalism, and so uh, I didn't. I, I'll have to give. I'm gonna give John Shore credit because they. I guess you can link that in the in the show notes. Yeah. But people need to read that article. <clears throat> I was left wondering what was next, uh, but I didn't really put the things together other than the marriage thing. I was kind of curious what he meant by that. Mm-hmm. I saw it. I saw it. What I think, and I still still think it's a positive step. I mean, people are free to believe whatever the hell they want to believe. Uh, and if you want to believe that it's not okay to be gay, that's fine. Just leave people. Just leave gay folks alone. And that's sounds like what Chambers is saying he's going to do, but I don't know that yet. So that was my initial response. Yeah. How about you, Rob? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, um, I've liked a lot of stuff that, that John Shore has written. He's, he's pretty funny, but I've also kind of gone toe-to-toe with him about some other things. So, um, But, man, I, I think I just totally lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, Crap. Go to someone else because I'm, I'm, I'm blanking. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was listening to um, Mike Carrera's podcast this last week, and he had the lead singer to uh, Alkaline Trio. And mm-hmm. they, he must have just got done smoking some pot because, uh, like, all throughout the, uh, the episode, he would be mid-conversation. Like, this is the, the, the lead singer to Alkaline Trio. I can't remember his name. And he would just go, oh, what am I talking about? <laughs> like, a dozen times through the podcast. And uh, it was pretty hilarious. So, um, well, one so what you, one so thing what you... that from reading that article, one thing that that happened just made me think, like, you know, yes, on a on in the big picture, this is a, a positive step in the right direction. If there was like a spectrum from one to ten being the most positive, I think it would be like a one or a two. But it also made me think about, you know, there's there are, uh, you know, there's, there's active organizations that exist today that are actively either promoting equality for everyone or fighting against it. And I think if, if someone like this was to come out and, and say, you know, we're, we're taking this huge step, it would be, you know, actively denouncing those organizations that are, that are I think, causing people harm mm-hmm. and actively supporting the other organizations, uh, like like locally, we have an organization called Equality NC, and so I think that would be something that I would be like, okay, now this is you know, uh, this is really doing something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, the mystery right now, honestly, too, is what's going to happen to all these local affiliates. Locally, <clears throat> Exodus, like I say, they're an umbrella organization. And here in Oklahoma City, we have a group called First Stone. Very, very clever biblical illusion there. Um, but they they are actively very, very um, pro-reparative therapy. And I don't know that you know the umbrella organization saying "oops" and moving on is going to make much difference in these local affiliates who are going to continue to peddle this sort of reparative therapy. Hmm. Um, Joey, uh, what were your initial like gut reactions when you when you first read his, his quote unquote apology or, or read about it? Well, I I think it's a it, it is a positive. Um, I think anytime. I think most humans that are not taking a critical eye when they see I'm sorry are going to feel like, you know, if they had a view, a strict view of uh, that this was the right thing to do, that this is really going to make them think, like, what the heck, you know, if they really were behind Exodus, you know, like, what's going on with this 
with this big ministry that why are they changing their mind? You know, like I said, maybe things will come out later on, but I think it is a positive step. Um, anytime in this, I just I've been seen in different other kind of ministries that have been so hardcore against the homosexuals, and um, I just I think it's going to be a positive change. But like I said, I'm I'm skeptical when I read any of that stuff. I'm very skeptical because I don't know it. It's it's like a wordsmith. There's a, there's a lot of hidden truth behind some of those wars and we still don't know what they mean, you know? Um, so I want to kind of lay out exactly like what their quote unquote ministry did or what their process was. And Greg, you, you, uh, when I talked to you or back and forth on on Twitter, you said you, you may have some idea of what their procedures are or, or, you know, what their therapy actually is. I'll make this really as brief as possible. Okay. Back in the back in the mid '90s, <clears throat> I was a staff pastor at a church, church in Oklahoma City, and one of our senior ministers, really good friends from seminary, uh, was uh, came kind of outed himself accidentally at a local church, and so we brought him over to our congregation because his wife changed the locks, and his father-in-law was a prominent member of this church, and so he was just you know he was not never going to be okay over there. So as a re- and part of that was my then wife and I took him in and he lived with us while he uh, continued to work and you know did some stuff for the church and so as part of that he started going to this first stone ministries and so we probably spent 13 to 18 months uh, talking working together and in those days I'll, I'll, in all honesty I absolutely believed it I, I thought it was going to work that you know Jesus was going to fix him uh, it was it wasn't until his struggle quite frankly fell apart he now lives in Canada and he's married as soon as it's legal up there he married his partner they've been together I think 17 years now uh, and but I watched him with everything he had you know, want to change, try to change. He went to the counseling sessions. They did really, really intense one-on-one counseling, and they did fairly intense group work as well. And they give you these, uh, I, I wish I can remember the name of the workbook, Sean. It, but they gave him a workbook to, to, to go through. And a lot of it, what they told him is, your identity is really in, in Jesus Christ. And so this identity you've developed, this gay identity, as it were, uh, is not really your genuine identity. So it was a lot of Bible study, a lot of prayer, a lot of counseling, and a lot of bullshit. Uh, because the, the numbers, Exodus used to tout the number, you know, there's two million ex-gays uh, in, the, in the United States or worldwide, whatever the hell it was. And the reality is, yeah, I, I think that human sexuality is really complicated. And so you're going to find people from asexual to omnisexual, I suppose, somewhere on that on that spectrum. And I, I, I don't know if, Kurt, if my friend was bisexual or if he was outwardly gay. I mean, they don't. It doesn't take into account that human sexuality is not this bipolarity. You're either this or you're that. Yeah. Uh, and so because it fails to do that, it does it a tremendous amount of damage. In as much as it tells you there's something wrong with you that needs to be fixed. And that was for me the that was the turning point for me to watch Kurt just kind of have to walk away from all of it, just walk away and say, I can't do this. And with it, he almost lost his faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I've always thought that too, just uh, just kind of seeing certain people that I know and, and, and talking to people in different churches and, and people that I knew growing up. Um, and I want to talk to them, you know, some of them more. Like I know there's one uh, acquaintance of mine from high school that um, he was obviously, you know, I knew he was he was gay throughout high school and and but I didn't really stick up for the guy which I I regret uh, quite a bit actually now uh, that I'm older but uh, um but just you know I don't understand how I mean just like it would just be like someone coming up to you you know and saying you need you know uh, you know uh, being attracted to a woman isn't a natural thing you know right. what I mean and 
using the Bible and, and, and religion to try to change you to, you know, to, uh, in, to having same-sex attraction, you know what I mean? It's, it's that if you, if you flip it and think about it, and that's kind of what did it for me when I flipped it and thought about it, and it's like it just it makes no sense to try to change someone's orientation like that, um, you know, that they just naturally have, you know. Well, I'm sorry, did you, Rob, were you going to say something? Um, man, so, I don't know, it just kind of makes me think about, um, you know, I, I've been in, in and out of different ministries for most of my life, and um, in, in Christ, quote-unquote Christian counseling situations, and, and knowing uh, so many pastors and Christian counselors that uh, just trying to to figure out the numbers, the actual numbers on something like this seems to be next to impossible because at any given moment, you know, you've got these people around that are involved in these ministries that are saying, I've been cured. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, we don't know what's really going on. We don't know and we can't know. So, you know, these numbers could be completely inflated. They could be actually true that any given moment there are a couple million people who have suppressed who they really are so yeah it's just a really difficult thing to kind of quantify yeah yeah i i mean uh i know then that's the thing uh greg you mentioned human sexuality is insanely complicated and, and it is i mean there are some people due to their environment and how they're raised they do you know lean towards the same sex attraction um, you can, you can get numbers supporting, you know, uh, you know, nature or nurture versus nature and, and vice versa, you know, and some of those people, you know, maybe there was an issue and they overcame that, you know, uh, and it was a, a psychological issue caused by, you know, uh, how they were raised or their environment. But, um, but, did, but I know I, I talked to my parents about this and, and, uh, they know someone in their, I don't know if there's a Bible study group or, or whatever. And, and, um, they came out from, you know, they're not quote unquote, you know, gay anymore or, you know, but it doesn't mean that they married a woman or whatever. They're just, they're suppressing their urges. Right. You know, and, and my parents think that, uh, I haven't really talked to my dad about it, but my, my mom thinks that that's a noble thing for him to just, you know, do, do what's right according to how God created us and suppress those urges. Um, you know, and they, and they feel like, oh, he's doing a great thing and he's living, in you know, with a sacrifice, you know, right. and I, I just can't get behind that. you know, I, I feel, I don't, uh, I don't understand that mentality at all. Uh, it, it, here's the problem. And Rob kind of touches on it too, I think is that you are dealing with a culture and I mean, by which I mean the, the church itself, capital C uh, that has a problem. And that problem is you've got a text that says it's not okay to be this way. So now you've got a couple of choices. Either God created people, fucked up then again then they've got to be fixed or there's something wrong with that text and so what they've done is they've created this sense where the lgbt community are the ones with the problem and they're, they're living in this lie that denies god's goodness because surely god would forbid something and then make you that way and so they're constrained in some ways to have to talk about this as if it's an affliction that can be fixed and that, of course, is horrific, as Rob points out. If I, if someone told me like Thursdays, try, try Gay Day, try, try Gay Thursday, and I'm going to get up, like I'm going to kill you, awesome. Uh, no, uh, attraction doesn't work that way. 
And so what they've done to these people is basically say, because the Bible says, which therefore means God says, now you've got to be different. And so they feel compelled, constrained even, to have to talk in those terms. Rather than reevaluate the text, they just make all the gay folks liars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, I think all three of you guys know a little bit on my process over the past few months has been, you know, trying to to, to understand and and get involved in the quote unquote emergent or progressive part of the church. And, and these kinds of things became a huge problem for me, just the, the attempts to manipulate the text to make it say what you want it to say and, you know, relativize the things that you don't like. And, um, that, that uh, maybe just one day just hit me like, you know, I haven't read the Bible in a few years, and I have no desire to, and I'm just not interested in it. And so, why am I a part of trying to be a part of this movement? <laughs> yeah. What What about the the third option, kind of more the quote unquote liberal side of understanding context, educating yourself about the scripture? Not to say that it's you know uh, God's word or whatever like that, but understanding in context of what Paul is actually saying in Romans. Um, you know, like that, with that kind of thing is these more of these, um, uh, literalist or what we call today fundamentalists, evangelicals, just basically uneducated, you know, because they're brought up in a tradition that believes the Bible is literally true. Um, the problem is that everybody, every traditionist literalist is only literalist along a certain sort of axis. They're not going to believe all of the verses, so they'll, they'll pick and choose, and they're often culturally shaped. To be honest, if we dispense with religion today, there are still vast swaths of culture that are opposed to homosexuality in principle with no religious basis whatsoever. Right. What we end up with on the liberal side, though, is this notion that, yeah, we can contextualize the message, and they didn't understand human sexuality back then or sexual orientation, and so what we need to do is understand that text in light of that. You know, you know what? I'm fine with that. I don't know that you, for me, it's, it's a moot point because I don't think the text has authority in the first place. Right. So what they're trying to do is maintain this sort of connection to their tradition. But at that point, once you start with that as your, as your uh, interpretive dynamic, well, then you can contextualize anything. This is what the evangelical response to that is. Well, if, if it's, we're evolving as people, as a culture, as in our understanding, then which one of these rules will we not be willing to reevaluate and recontextualize based on this sort of uh, rubric that you're using? And I, that's, you know, I, I understand their response and their fear because if your foundation is this text and I can undermine that text along any particular axis, then what is to say that I can't continue to undermine at different places that become more and more and more critical? And then you start to lose things like resurrection and Holy Spirit and all that kind of talk and Trinity. And so there, it's, a, it's partly a fear-based thing, and, but part of it is, quite frankly, good sense. Uh, people shouldn't have sex with children. Uh, people shouldn't have, you know, all these moral laws that are, are there. Uh, can you undermine all of them, a few of them? Which ones? What's the criteria going to be? And so it's a legitimate conversation because they're worried that they're going to lose the baby and the bathwater. Right. And I guess if you demythalize the Bible or get rid of all the miracles and you start doing all that stuff, like, again, are you throwing everything out? You know, at a certain point, you're going to be, what are you left with? You know? Well, quite, can I be honest here? For for those of us that grew up straight, uh, and I'll admit it, gay, gay seems icky. It's because that's, it's a, you're not attracted to the same sex. And so the idea of it we find somewhat uh, repulsive. But that's 
that's a physiological response based on our attraction to opposite sex as opposed to some sort of, you know, built-in Holy Spirit thing telling me that this is not okay. And so it's hard to have this conversation because it doesn't seem normal to us. And it's impossible to feel how they feel, and therefore we, we lack empathy uh, in this problem. And this is why, of course, the, the reason that people change their minds on this is their child or their, or their uncle or someone they care deeply about mm-hmm. finally admits that they're gay. And that's when the empathetic response begins. Well, if we don't have empathy because of our physiology, we're going to have a hard time having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think it was maybe the first time I ever heard uh, Dan Savage a couple of years ago <laughs> on a yeah. podcast and someone, someone kind of posed that question to him about the, you know, uh, the whole gay thing is just gross to me. And he was like, he's like, okay, let's, let's describe a man and a woman having sex in detail. Let's describe it. And so he goes into this like five minute thing (laughs) describing what happens and the movements and the noises and all this stuff. And I'm just like, wow, that does sound pretty disgusting. No matter what way you spin it, if you, if you're going to really think about it, (laughs) it's like the puppet sex scene from team America. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't take a whole lot. Well, it's all about how it's shot, you guys. <laughs> right? It's very possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see here. I had something. I had something, but I lost it. Dang it. Man, I, I think what uh, what Greg pointed out um, made me think back um, at least a few months ago. I read a blog post by Richard Beck who does the uh, experimental theology blog, um, who sometimes has some really interesting stuff. He's a psychologist who kind of does theology as a hobby. Um, and, and he did a post just comparing kind of the Acts 29 new reform type thing to Westboro and just saying, um, you know, really the only difference is that one has a better PR campaign than the other. And, um, you know, it, it, they kind of, um, the dude, uh, Kevin Miller, who just did that Hellbound documentary, he mm-hmm. kind of does the same thing by, you know, blatantly juxtaposing Mark Driscoll and Westboro, basically saying, you know, they, they at the core, they are saying the same thing. Just, you know, Driscoll... Um, is, is a little less abrasive with it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, according to a lot of people, he's just as abrasive. But <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, but honestly, that's because Driscoll, at least at some level, believes the gospel. And I know Westboro only uses it as this sort of prop so they can, you know, in, create the situation where they get to sue somebody for money. So it, at one level, Driscoll's in, in a way worse because he marginalizes homosexuals and women and actually believes that's what God's called him to do. The people at Westboro are just uh, greedy bastards uh, <laughs> that have, have no conscience, but at least they don't use, they don't actually believe the gospel uh, marginalizes women and gays as I think Driscoll does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I, was, I was doing a little more... Uh, reading here and and uh on the on the the excess international's statement and it does seem it uh it does seem like a strategic kind of pr you know <laughs> kind of announcement because i was looking at the timeline right so he writes the i'm sorry blog post 
Uh, and then he comes out and said, makes a statement, you know, at their uh, conference. At the conference. And then uh, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't seen this, but then he was on a TV show, Oprah, mm-hmm. on yeah. Oprah. And did you guys any, any of you guys see that? Because I, I must have missed that. No, I have a penis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm no. There's no way in hell I'm going towards Oprah's TV channel. But I'm just, uh, you know. Did any of you? Was anything posted online? And by chance, maybe you know. I haven't seen anything about it except for that announcement on Shore's website. Okay. Apparently, he says it was teary. So. Well, that's sweet. Tearjerker, massively promoted tearjerker of a TV show being broadcast on the Oprah. Yeah, I'm sure there was that, you know, sort of obligatory, weepy, I'm sorry, I hurt all of you mm-hmm. sort of moment. But I'm, I, you know what, now that you said it, I'm going to have to watch it to see if he clarifies anything at all. Yeah. It's, a, it's not necessarily on Oprah's show. It's on, uh, uh, I think, oh, shoot. Yeah, uh, on Our America with Lisa Ling. Okay. So... And it looks like a round table. I mean, I'm looking at the picture right now, and it looks like a group therapy session right there. Awesome. So, uh, when, when we still had cable, we actually used to watch that, that show, that Lisa Ling show. Cause she had, she had some interesting, um, like she went out to Florida to this community of pedophiles that all lived in the same kind of area. And so that was kind of interesting. And then she, she did a, a thing on a bunch of charismatics and, okay. um, but but based on those interviews, like she, um, she was not critical about anything. So I, I can kind of sense what that interview with with uh, the Exodus guy is going to be like. Yeah. Well, I'm looking. There's a timeline here on their website, and it looks like she first covered Exodus International back in June of 2010. Right. So she's been following, uh, and she also did an interview with Alan. Alan Chambers. So she's looks like she's been following this quite a bit. There's a whole timeline. Yeah. And um, the whole thing feels like handlers put it together. It created the timeline, set up the particular things they were going to do, all to build toward this rebrand. I think Shore nails that. I think he's absolutely right. It almost. I mean, you're looking. I mean, it's it's a it's infographic ready. It's uh, her infographic goes from black with an American flag that's kind of gray, then it goes to a rainbow color. (laughs) Um, But I mean. If you look at it, you know, kind of, you know, it's it's one of those things like hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So, um, you know, it this could be genuine, but it does look. I mean, it looks just a strategic, you know, kind of PR, you know, machine kind of handling all this. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in uh, in in the future, you know. But uh, and I, I'm actually interested in, in watching all these interviews now. Well. Uh, the, what's going to happen, and this is going to be interesting for the church to sort out, is that <clears throat> historically it's been easy to say two gay men or two gay women can't have sex because they can't get married. You can only get married. You can only have sex inside marriage. So with gay marriage laws moving around the country and whatever SCOTUS decides, you know, this next week, uh, it's going to have to. It's going to force churches to have a, have a different answer other than, well, you can't have sex because you can't get married. If they have the right to marry, then they have the right to have sex as well. And so lots of churches that have kind of not taken a stand on this uh, are going to have to say something definitive about what they actually believe. Yeah. yeah. Do you, I mean, do you feel like this is kind of a small part of the culture, finally the pendulum kind of swinging, you know, are we getting momentum with kind of this conversation 
in our country in, or in the Exodus movement or what? No, I, I'm I'm sorry. I mean in like the whole just the conversation of uh, of you know gay marriage and being more kind of open to homosexuals. I mean, do you do you oh, the, feel like the, the numbers are definite that the 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 younger on the spectrum you are, the uh-huh. more likely that you support gay marriage. And so the people who are the 70s, 80s, and 90s who are steadily dying off over the next 20 years, it's going to change it to where the overwhelming majority of Americans support it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to create massive problems for the church, who, as we learned back in the 70s, was only opposed to divorce until people actually started getting divorced. <laughs> uh, and once that happened, and I think it was the right move. They essentially said uh, the compassionate and gracious thing to do at this moment is to welcome divorcees back into the congregation, and then ultimately, back by the time you get to the 80s, they are allowing them back into full-time ministry to the point that where, I think it was late 80s, early 90s, Charles Stanley announces his mm-hmm. divorce in Atlanta, which for a Southern Baptist minister of that, that sort of prominence to stand in the pulpit after he had divorced his wife uh, was a watershed moment uh, for divorce in this culture, especially in a Christian culture. We're going to see a lot of the same sort of things happen <clears throat> in the context of homosexuality, that people are reluctantly, I know churches in Oklahoma City right now, the pastors of whom would say, we're totally fine with it, but they realize that that group that's violently, not violently, wrong word, adamantly opposed to it, is also some of their biggest givers, uh, because people who are 20, hipsters don't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> and so if they're sitting in your church because they think you're emergent or cool or you're Acts 29, uh, if they leave, all you lose is your youth. If your 50s, 60s, and 70s-year-olds leave, you lose your money. Uh, and so they are not saying anything, but they are going to have to culturally within the next you know, two to three months. As a matter of fact, I just read today, I posted on Facebook, our lovely Sally Kern here in Oklahoma joined with 199 other conservatives that sent a letter to the White House essentially saying, no matter what SCOTUS decides, they're going to continue to resist efforts to legalize gay marriage in their particular states. Of course, Bill Donahue, you know, Catholic, whatever federation or whatever they call that hate group over there, um, <clears throat> they... Uh, they're a part of it too. So this is going to be the issue that defines the next probably mm-hmm. five, six years in the church. Can we can we lay out just uh, for those who don't know, like what who haven't been following the news, like like me, uh, what SCOTUS <laughs> what SCOTUS is? Supreme Court of the United States. Well, no, I'm mean, ah, dang it. Oh, what, what are they? What are they? <laughs> What's gonna, well, what's going to happen now? What's, what's, I mean, sorry, what are they deciding or what's the big, what's the conversation there? Two big cases. The first was Prop 8, which was California's uh, anti-gay marriage, right. uh, which was declared to be unconstitutional by a lower court and it's finally gone to SCOTUS and they're going to make the decision as to whether or not the lower court was correct. And the, the other one is the DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act that Bill Clinton, the Democrat himself, signed in 1996, making it illegal at the federal level uh, for marriage to be other than a man and a woman. And that one's going to be decided. That, that'll also be decided. The problem is that they can do a couple of different things. One of those is they can say that the petitioners had no standing and they don't have to make a decision and they kick it back to the lower courts. Mm. The other is they say that DOMA is unconstitutional uh, and then we have the states will have to make up their own minds. Or with Prop 8, they're able to say that you can't prohibit people uh, who are citizens from having the same rights and privileges. There's a half dozen different possibilities of, of the way it could go. Uh, I suspect what we're going to get is a kind of a kind of like the, the health care mandate where we're going to get a, li- a little bit of a victory, a little bit of a frustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, I knew that there, stuff was going back and forth with the Supreme Court, but uh, you know, this time around I, ha- I haven't seen any rainbow you know, icons on Facebook or anything. So I was like, what's no, going on? The decision was supposed to come out this week, and it hasn't, which is okay. trouble. 
So it will it will probably be next week. When it, it could be as early as tomorrow, in fact, okay. when they'll issue their, their opinions. And I don't know what it means if they delayed it a week, uh, other than maybe they're still writing the opinions and dissenting opinions. Hmm. That'll be interesting to see. And uh, you know, if I was more organized, I would have been doing, because I know June was kind of, uh, is June kind of Gay Pride Month or LGBT? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, you know, next year I'll have to be more organized <laughs> and actually uh, throughout the month of June get some uh, interviews um, with actual uh, LGBT community <laughs> members. Yeah, I think that that brings up a great point. Like um, that that other blog post that I posted, which is somebody I don't really pay a lot of attention to, but it's a, a trans pastor uh, called uh, he calls himself uh, the Anarchist Rev, mm-hmm. and you know I've read some interesting things here and there, um, but th- that post specifically was just like. You know, this is this is a perennial problem with the church at large is that, you know, what we get are, you know, the four of us white, you know, between the age of 25 and, you know, 45 guys together and, you know, talk about this issue. And uh, the, the church just does not listen to actual LGBTQ people. <laughs> so... Well, and it's a, it's an issue that Stephanie Drury and Rachel Held Evans have talked about on the feminist side too. And the truth of the matter is, until someone who is in the establishment, in the hegemony, so to speak, uh, uh, champions your cause, your cause is not going to get heard all that well or effectively. Uh, and so we do need uh, people that will champion that cause. But you are right in the sense that it needs to be a conversation between parties, some of whom have a great deal to risk uh, over the result of this conversation, which would include people in the LGBT community. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like I know Obama had come out and, and mentioned some stuff, you know, in support of it? Has he? He seems to be kind of silent lately about it, though. Yeah, he's been reminding me more and more of George W. Bush the longer he's in office. Quite frankly, yeah. um, <laughs> I'm having a hard time finding a lot of the differences when we got drones flying overhead, NSA spying on everybody. Uh, he had, of course, said you know something. Like, I guess it was last year and scandalized everyone about it. But he, I, I am, I'm, I'm assuming, and I don't know this, and maybe Rob knows that. Uh, I'm sure that someone filed a brief either in support or in opposition to uh, the SCOTUS case about DOMA. They would have to because the attorney general is in charge of that because it was a federal law. But I don't know what the brief would have said. Mm-hmm. I, almost, I almost feel like he was more vocal about it during uh, kind of re-election, you know. Yeah, and even, even his announcements seemed to be a reaction to Joe Biden putting his foot in his mouth. Like mm-hmm. he tends to do, and say what he really thinks, which you're not supposed to do when you're you're a, a politician. But so I think Obama's uh, big announcement was, "Oh crap, uh, Biden said something. Now what am I supposed to do?" So <laughs> yeah, I was trying to level the playing field a little bit. No, I'm not, that's that's. I feel like somebody at that stature needs to come out really like passionately you know, about standing up for these rights. I feel like, you know, until that happens, it's still going to kind of be this middling, like, conversation and, and argument that we just, you know, see on a daily basis, you know, between, you know, people like us and, and just in conversation. And Well, Sean, I'm sorry. Uh, I just found the uh, brief, and it says that the Obama administration urged the Supreme Court to find not constitutional Section 3, which is the part that doesn't recognize same-sex marriage for the purpose of federal benefits. So they have come out pretty strongly in opposition to DOMA, so I'll, I'll take back my words. Okay. And I, I think I think Clinton recently, too, came out and apologized for signing that 
into law. Yeah, he said he felt like it was a, a, a kind of a victory at the time, which is total bullshit. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I like, don't get me wrong, I, I think he's brilliant. He was one of the most complex thinkers we ever had, and I miss him some days as president. But that was a bullshit, cowardice politics move, and I, I've had a hard time forgiving him for that or for Rwanda. Both of those were just blemishes on his presidency. Mm-hmm. Did he do Don't Ask, Don't Tell, too? Yeah, but he did, and that was a victory. I'll give him that. He said that Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a victory, and based on with the status of the military at the time, I was in the military in the early 80s, uh, you just you were drummed out of the service if they knew you were gay. And so the Don't Ask, Don't Tell was at least this sort of safety where they couldn't interrogate you about it, and as long as you didn't say anything, they couldn't give you a honorable discharge. Now, clearly, what we wanted there was full acceptance, but he worked to get the military culture at the time uh, to bring about that, which is ultimately a compromise. And you can pat him on the back a little bit for that one. It's dome and you can't pat him on the back for. Hmm. Well, guys, um, <clears throat> trying to think of more stuff we can say about about this, but I think that I think we're kind of I feel the conversation about about this subject kind of you know coming to a close a little bit. <coughs> um, I do want to kind of follow this subject, you know, the next uh, over the next few months and see where all this goes and. You know, but I, I feel like we're a, we're a step away from, uh, like you guys have have alluded to, a step away from some other reorganization announcement. You know, because um, yeah, I mean, they're not Exodus International isn't all of a sudden becoming. You know, um, they're not they're not coming out uh, opposed to any uh, any of these other treatments, right? They're just kind of they're not really flipping it around and fighting right. for you know gay rights. No, that's kind of. I feel like you're kind of just laying low, and and we'll see what happens, you know, because this... Honestly, Sean, the problem here is that Exodus no longer drives the conversation. Yeah. If you ask the average person in a pew, uh, you know, who Exodus is, they won't know. Mm-hmm. So Exodus, is, will, you know, has, has been a problem for, for gays and lesbians uh, and without influencing the larger culture. So this is going to be kind of a blip in a couple of months. We're not going to give a shit. Uh, what's, what the, the conversation is being driven at a different level. I think this is just their attempt, quite frankly, to you know get some relevance back and uh, create for themselves a little bit of publicity at a time that's really, really critically important for gays and lesbians and their rights in this country. Because the, the SCOTUS decision, and I don't, I don't want to say it like this, but the SCOTUS decision is this week, and they did that shit last week. Mm. And it all seems a little bit calculated to get as much press attention as possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I find it interesting. Um, the the only people, from what I could tell, you know, I'm, I'm friends with quite a few people, um, gay and lesbian people on Facebook, and and the only story that seemed to get any attention from, from that community is this Exodus closing. Nothing else, like nobody's posting links or videos or interviews or anything, um, but they all seem pretty pretty excited that at least from the, uh, the surface level, Exodus is closing, and... and yeah. um, so hopefully there's a, a little more critical thinking going on, but yeah, somebody, yeah. is that Rob? That's you. Yeah, it's, I, I don't understand this. It's like I walked outside and changed the number on my house and painted it, and then I said, "I don't live in my same house anymore." Yes, you damn sure do. Yeah. <laughs> and so just because they say we close, and oh, here we are now, we just changed our name to. I think it's called Reduced Fear. What the fuck? Um, <laughs> that all they did was basically change the shingle out front. Mm-hmm. So. 
I'm not sure that they've actually closed. It just the verbiage is perfect there because it's like a moment of celebration. And you're right, Rob. People if they will just read this and say, "Wait a second. So you're not really closed. It's the same officers. You just have a different name. So how's this not a rebrand?" And that's I think what we're going to find out in the next week or so. Right. This is new Coke. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's only classic. We got cl- this is classic Coke. You loved it before. You'll love it again. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know if, if any of you guys Perfect. have seen this, but I, I think uh, I watched this documentary probably about a year ago. I think it's called One Nation Under God, and it was put out in 1993, I think. But it was actually two guys who started Exodus International um, who were gay. And they ended up leaving it, and the two of them, I think, are still t- together. But it's just an interesting, puts an interesting perspective on the whole thing. That the, the two guys that started the thing are a couple. Yeah, the uh, Frank 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 Worthen, <clears throat> Bob Davies, or a few in the, in the very early Cy something or other in the very early days, and they did have a gigantic sort of uh, cataclysmic fight at the highest level that divided that organization really young in their life. And I and I and I want to say for some reason that Mel White, who went on to found the um, Metropolitan Community Churches, the first you know open and affirming churches uh, des- designed to be for homosexuals, I, I want to say that Mel White was part of the organization at at, a, at one point as well. Uh, but you know he was closeted for so long that I, he may not have ever done that. I I can't really speak to that except to say that all those guys very early on. Um, did, did, did have this huge split, and part of it was having to do with the fact that they had been repudiated by some of their leadership. Uh, but it's an interesting organization. I, you know, it's one of those deals where no one's going to be sad they're gone. Yeah. Right. Well, um, I know there's a – I wanted to mention also there's this uh, podcast called Unbelievable, and I'll try to post the links to their conversations uh, that they've had on this on this subject, I believe. Uh, I don't know exactly what they did have a conversation with someone who started up a kind of sort of, you know, a gay cure type um, organization. I forget the name of it. Um, so they have a couple of those conversations and they've been, all those have been very interesting because it's more of a debate, you know, between two different sides. Um, so I'll post those links in the uh, show notes too. It's kind of just something to, you know, to learn more about these types of, uh, you know, discussions and and what these uh, types of organizations do. Because I, I, I find it fa- fascinating. I find the conversation fascinating. And actually, you know, the whole quote-unquote gay conversation is what caused me really to start questioning my own my own faith, you know, a few years back. So yeah. uh, it's a big deal. So I, I think everyone should educate themselves and, you know, find where you stand on this matter, you know, and don't just, oh, just because, don't, I wouldn't, I would never say just because the Bible says something, you should do it, you know. Learn, I think, um, learn and grow. I think uh, more conversations that I have with people that, you know, I grew up with or people that are still kind of involved in, you know, primarily the X-29 movement. And, you know, I'll open up this conversation. I just had a uh, talking to my friend on the phone the other day and he was like, dude, he's like, I don't know a single gay person. He's, you know, 32 years old. He's like, mm-hmm. I, I've never known a person at least as far as I could tell, I, I don't know anybody. I, I don't know what I think about this. I was just like, man, that, that is crazy to me. <laughs> not a gay person. Right. I, 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 I mean, honestly. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I work for a mental health services organization, and I, I think I work with more gay people than straight people. Yeah, and I, I'm, so. a food, I'm a food and wine writer, too, and I spend half my life with gay people, trust me. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I have them in classes as well, but I just I don't understand a, a, a community that's so insular that they wouldn't have gay people as part of their you know their network of friends or at least family. That's just bizarre beyond words. But Sean, on in terms of resources, one of the most interesting things going on right now is you know Soul Force, which is that group of uh, Christians that travel the country in a bus. Uh, it's uh, it's a large organization, but every year they do a bus tour, uh, and they take young people who uh, have who grew up in the church and are now uh, openly gay, and they go to conservative universities around the country. Uh, they've been at OB Oklahoma Baptist here a couple of times. They've tried to go to Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts never will let them on campus, so but they'll park the bus and talk to students, and they try to just engage uh, students at these conservative. I think they've even been to Brigham Young at these conservative schools uh, and try to start a dialogue in a place where no dialogue has really existed. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they, I think it's every summer they do this, and I've covered it a couple of times for different publications, but it's worth looking at. They're, I think they're soulforce.org, yeah. and they do a fantastic job of getting information out there and especially impacting college-age kids. Okay. Cool. Well, guys, i gotta, I got to wrap up here. Um, so, uh, you know, so we gotta, I got to get going. Uh where can they? Where can everyone find you guys online, real quick, uh, Rob? Um, I, I think I've gone into hiding for the most part. <laughs> so <laughs> find him in the under I, underbelly I'm, of the internet. I'm still around, but I I think my Twitter is coffee or suicide. I think <laughs> for the moment. Okay, I like that. Greg, <laughs> Greg, how about you? I'm expastor, E-X-P-A-S-T-O-R, on Twitter and on, uh, what's the other one I use, Instagram? Yeah, Instagram. Uh, I'm on there too. Yeah, I, I, again, sometimes good photos, sometimes just a bunch of booze. Uh, and then the blog is theparish.typepad.com. And Joey, you're Joey Avalos, right? Yep. All right. All right, fellas, I got to wrap up here. Uh, follow us on Twitter, the AXPX. We'll talk to all of you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.